0: Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks.
1: You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's just jump right in today because I have several smaller stories for you, and I always promise you updates when I get them, so here's a quick sentencing update for Tatiana Remley. Now, you can go back and listen to the September 18th episode of Rise and Crime for all the unusual and possibly lurid details, depending on who you are, about this murder-for-hire scheme. But here's the basics. Tatiana had a penchant for marrying money. And I'm not judging. It's just what her history tells us about her. She initially married Ken Woolcott who was 20 years her senior, and he was part owner of the Seattle Supersonics. Now, that marriage ended badly after just a few short years, but the custody battle of their shared son and also the money that was involved in the marriage, well, that lasted for several years. Then during that time, while all that custody battle was going on, Tatiana found new love interests who helped sustain her lifestyle that included an expensive equestrian hobby, some fancy cars, and a paid service staff. Now eventually Tatiana settled in with Mark Remley. Now his net worth was listed at $30 million when the two married. The two acquired four different living properties in four different cities and tried to start a couple of additional businesses, but that didn't go very well. The first business was a traveling equestrian show, kind of similar to the popular Cavalia horse show. Well, that enterprise failed almost immediately, and Tatiana and Mark were accused of not paying multiple vendors who were involved in that lavish daydream of Tatiana's. Lawsuits ensued, which placed a strain on the marriage. Then the pair launched a cycling studio named Rhythm and Power. But again, these two just aren't meant to be business partners, and it isn't a good mix. That venture lasted about a year before shutting down. Okay, the couple even tried Hollywood. They joined the cast of the Showtime series Naked Sanctum. So Naked Sanctum is a private members-only club in California that provides... High-end sexual experiences with multiple partners of both the same gender and opposite gender. Okay, they did a reality show about it. I haven't seen the show, so maybe they actually got this part right about their relationship. I don't know. But eventually, in May of this year, Tatiana filed for divorce, claiming that Mark was physically and emotionally abusive, Now, this divorce was not going to be over quickly. Tatiana was asking for $15,000 a month in spousal support. She told the courts that this was a steal for Mark. Since some months, she was spending up to $50,000 to fulfill her needs. Now, Mark may have been violent. There is a legal trail of violence claims made by Tatiana, And this wasn't the first time the couple had entered into divorce proceedings. Back in 2015, the couple filed, but then they decided to reconcile. There's a whole bunch of he said, she said in this whole story. And I'm not here to decide what's true about any of it. Who's telling the truth? Who's not? I'm just bringing you the update. Well, things got out of control this summer. When the San Diego property the two shared... Well, it mysteriously caught fire. When police arrived, they found Tatiana with three guns and loads of ammunition. Then over the next few weeks, Tatiana contacted a mutual lover. Okay, I'm not really sure how to describe this person, but this was someone who Mark and Tatiana had invited into their personal relationship to share personal experiences. Well, Tatiana offered to hire this person to kill Mark for a healthy $2 million paycheck. And as I said in the previous update from September, if you share everything about your spouse with someone, and I mean everything, why would you even think that you could hire them to kill someone and they would keep your secret? Well, those friends told Mark, and Mark told the police, and a sting operation commenced. Tatiana was arrested at a Starbucks when police felt they had sufficient evidence of her admitting to hiring the friend to kill Mark. So now we're caught up to the update. Like I said, there's way more details in the September episode if you want to listen to that, but let's get to the update. Tatiana Pled guilty to solicitation of murder this week. She was sentenced to three years and eight months in state prison. She also pled guilty to a gun charge that was related to the seizure of the weapons during the house fire incident. Now, Tatiana will get credit for time served since she's been incarcerated since her arrest. But it's a little bit wonky. She's only been in jail for 149 days but she got credit for 297 days because she's been on her best behavior in jail. All right, there's also an untold portion of this story. Back in September, when I initially introduced you to Tatiana and her murder-for-hire plot, her husband, Mark, was nowhere to be found, just off the grid. The last anyone had reported about him was when Tatiana was arrested Because on that day, Mark was seen by neighbors speeding through the neighborhood where the burned home is located. When he parked his black Ferrari in front of the partially burned property, he didn't walk up to his own home. Instead, he went to a neighbor's house and begged for help saying he was having a seizure. Now, EMTs were called and Mark was taken to the hospital. And that was it. The neighbor had heard nothing more Police had reported nothing more and newspapers had reported nothing more. The Ferrari was left parked in the street for three days before one of Mark's friends came and retrieved the car and the same friend put chains on the gate to the burned property. Well, Mark was present in the courtroom for Tatiana's sentencing last week and the 57-year-old looked tired and older than his age. You guys, I'll be honest. I wouldn't tell you that Mark in the photos from three years earlier is the same man in the photos from the courtroom. They look that different. He has truly aged. Well, Mark spoke before the sentencing and he talked about how the marriage started out with love, but it degraded to this desperate level of Tatyana's murderous intentions. He told the judge that he would be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life and that he would never be able to trust anyone again. And that's where the story ends. I guess we can hope that Mark and Tatiana find resolution and peace. And if I was a betting woman, I would say Tatiana will get more credit for good behavior and will be out of prison sooner than we think. And now to the first of two Utah stories, and Utah, you're keeping us busy lately, but this story is going to kick off four unexpected smaller stories I'm going to tell you, and this one has to do with cyber kidnapping. On Rise and Crime, I've covered cyber bullying and cyber blackmail, but this is a first for me, cyber kidnapping. Well, on Thursday morning of last week, 17-year-old Kai Zhuang, he's an exchange student from China. Well, he got up, he got ready, and he went to his high school. There was nothing out of the ordinary. But by Thursday evening, Kai had been reported missing by his parents that are back in China. See, the parents called the high school because the alleged cyber kidnappers had told the parents that Kai had been abducted and that they could help their son to safety if they would wire ransom money to a secure bank account now when i first read this i thought how did they get kai to play along with this he's in america his parents are in china it didn't make any sense to me but here's how it works the cyber kidnappers they tend to target foreign exchange students i'm just guessing because of the language barrier and also cultural differences Now, they tell the students to isolate themselves and to make it seem like they're being held captive. The victims are then told to take pictures of themselves in isolation and send those pictures to a certain internet address or cell phone number. Now, the exchange student thinks if they don't comply that their family is going to be harmed. At the same exact time, the staged picture of the isolated student is sent to their family And the family is told that their son or daughter will be freed if they pay the ransom money. Now, the scheme works if the cyber kidnappers target the right student who is not confident in his surroundings and if the timing actually works out perfectly. And in the case of Kai out of Utah, it was the right recipe for the kidnappers. On that Thursday morning, Kai left his host family home in Riverdale, Utah and traveled to a canyon in freezing temps and snow-covered ground. When investigators were alerted that Kai was missing, they realized that they had run across him the day before when he was purchasing camping equipment to, according to him, camp in a nearby canyon. When the police ran across him the day before, they were concerned and they had, like, escorted Kai back to his host family home. But the situation wasn't explained to the host family. The host family had no idea Kai had purchased camping equipment or that he was even thinking about planning a camping trip. So the next day happens, and this is when Kai goes missing. And investigators were told that the family had already paid money to the kidnappers a significant amount of money $80,000. Kai's family also showed investigators a photo of Kai in the snow-covered wilderness. When investigators put two and two together, they knew Kai had utilized the camping equipment and was probably in danger in the freezing temperatures. Well, after consulting with the FBI, they also knew Kai was self-isolating and they needed to work fast to find him. Weber County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue Drone Team. Well, they went to work searching a large area along the Wasatch Front. But it was actually a Riverdale police detective who hiked the mountainside on foot that came across the teen on Sunday. He was alive, but cold and scared, hunkered down in the tent he had purchased. I'm going to remind you of the timeline here. That was he went missing on Thursday And he was found on sunday when they found kai he had no heat source in the tent he had only the sleeping bag and the thermal blanket he had purchased and then there was a little bit of food and water remaining and then oddly enough he had several phones with him that he was using to communicate with the cyber kidnappers well first responders said that kai was only concerned about his family and he wanted assurance that they were safe. After that was provided, he asked for a warm cheeseburger on the way back to the Riverdale Police Department. Now Riverdale Police Chief Casey Warren said he wants this to serve as an example that foreign exchange students can trust police to protect them. He also said he wants them to know that they will ensure their safety and their family's safety. Okay, now let's talk for a minute about what's going on at our airports this holiday travel season. Two kids traveling alone have been sent to the wrong destinations, and now there is news out this week that a man died in a jet engine in Utah. So let's tackle that one first. On New Year's Day evening at about 9:50 a store manager of one of the outlets within the A Terminal at Salt Lake International Airport contacted the airport control center. This after the manager saw that man pass through an emergency exit door that led to the runway. Well, an alarm sounded immediately when the man went through the door and security personnel, they eventually pursued after the man. Well, after passing through the exit, the man ran to the south end of the runway where de-icing operations were underway for multiple aircrafts. Okay, let me explain for you warm weather people. Airports spray a chemical over the commercial planes to prevent the plane from icing up in cold temperatures. And at certain times, this needs done on every plane that leaves the terminal. And it's not done until the plane is fully loaded and the doors are secured. So this is happening to more than one plane in the area where the man is running to. Now, the current released information says that the man crawled into the engine of an occupied aircraft that was headed from Salt Lake City to San Francisco, but the aircraft was waiting for the de-icing procedure to be done. But this story gets a little weirder. Before climbing into the engine, the man removed his shoes and some of his clothing Now, it took ground personnel and security several minutes to find the man with the help of an airline pilot who saw the man running and removing his clothes. Now, the engine was initially reported as not running at the time, but less than 24 hours after the incident, that information was retracted and it was clarified that the engines were rotating. Now, when the man was found, It took some effort to get the man out of the engine intake cowling. When the man was removed, life-saving efforts were employed, but the man died at the scene. It was later released that the deceased individual was 30-year-old Kyler Effinger of Park City, who was a ticketed passenger, but he was supposed to be headed to Denver. Now, I found his profile on Instagram, and he posted... Just three days ago, it was a video of him diving into a swimming pool. And then, just a couple of days before that, he posted a picture with what appears to be his parents and siblings. He also has multiple skiing videos, which completely checks out. He grew up in Park City, and he was a Raiders fan. At least, that is what I was gaining from the scan of his social media. So, I'm sure we will find out more about why he darted from the terminal, But this story is fairly new at the time of recording, so I'll let you know when I know. Now, passengers were removed from the plane while it stayed in its position at the airport runway, and they were then transported back to the terminal, and the flight was obviously canceled. What I took from this is life can be really bizarre, and my heart breaks for this family. But, The airline weirdness continues because last Friday, a Tampa teen waved goodbye to his dad and stepmom at the Tampa International Airport, and then he boarded the wrong flight. 16-year-old Logan Luz was supposed to be traveling to Cleveland to be with his mother. He went through security. He got to his gate. Then he got in line with others thinking he was boarding his flight to Cleveland, And when the line shortened and Logan made it to the gate agent, the Frontier Airlines worker looked at Logan's boarding pass that was on his phone, but did not scan it. And then the employee sent Logan onto the plane. And instead of Cleveland as his final destination, Logan ended up in Puerto Rico. When he landed, he sent a text to his dad that said, Help me, please. I'm so scared. They just told me it was Ohio. Well, just like the last story. This one gets weirder because according to Logan's father, Frontier Airlines initially denied that Logan had been flown to the wrong destination. Logan's father told a local TV station that they just kept brushing him off when he was trying to alert the airline that his son was on the wrong flight. He then said that once Frontier acknowledged the mistake, They did say sorry and they flew his son back to Tampa. And for his trouble, Logan was offered a $200 travel voucher, which Logan's father says is not near enough compensation for the failure by the gate agent. He says he wants accountability by the airline for losing his son. Now, the airline has said that the gate agent did fail at scanning the ticket and that they offer their sincerest apologies to the family but that they do not have a chaperoning program for passengers over 15 years old. Remember, Logan is 16. And I also wanna add that Logan was at the right gate. He was just early and the Puerto Rico flight was leaving before his Cleveland flight. I guess in this case, maybe he was too prepared. All right, lastly, another lost child Except this one is much younger. On December 21st, Maria Ramos was anxiously awaiting the arrival of her six year old grandson named Casper. He was flying from Philadelphia alone to Fort Myers, Florida to visit her for the Christmas holiday. But when Spirit Airlines employees began chaperoning the child after he was dropped off at the airport, They put Casper on the wrong flight and sent him to Orlando. I guess at least it wasn't Puerto Rico, right? Well, Maria said she was able to find her grandson's luggage. So the luggage made it on the right flight, but she was frantically searching for Casper. She was begging staff to find her grandson. Maria told WINK that Spirit Airlines staff at first told her that Casper missed his flight. She even tracked down an airline attendant who told her there were no chaperone kids that were on that flight to Fort Myers. Well, it was then that a frantic Maria received a phone call from Casper. He told her he was on the wrong flight and he had landed in Orlando. And now, according to WINK, Maria wants answers. She wants to know how the mix-up happened. How did the handoff get mixed up? How did the paperwork get mixed up? Spirit Airlines did release the following statement to multiple news outlets. It reads, On December 21st, an unaccompanied child traveling from Philadelphia to Fort Myers was incorrectly boarded on a flight to Orlando. The child was always under the care and supervision of a Spirit team member. And as soon as we discovered the error, we took immediate steps to communicate with the family and reconnect them. Okay, I looked it up. All airlines charge some sort of fee to chaperone a child from one destination to another. So, Casper's guardians did pay extra money to have Casper put on the right flight. Now, Spirit Airlines also said they will be conducting an internal investigation to figure out what happened. And this got me thinking. You guys... I did leave my daughter Peyton at a dance competition once, but in my defense, she told the arranged ride home that she wasn't supposed to go with them, even though she was supposed to go with them. We might have actually debated over this on the Christmas holiday vacation, and then we had a few laughs about it. All right, that's your Thursday episode of Rise and Crime. Thank you for today's case suggestions. There's been some new updates to Ono oh Media, so maybe you want to check out our social media accounts to learn about some big changes happening for current podcasts and maybe even some new podcasts on the way. And you can give us a like and a follow. Also, please hit the subscribe button. Thanks for being here with me. You can join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.